curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Just to repeat, the ex-Jehovah's Witness on YouTube who's really even and straight up and lovely. His name's Telltale. You'll just go to YouTube and uh, type in Telltale. That will get you straight there. Read me a poem, Tim Finn, of Split Ends fame, and of Tim Finn fame, actually. He reads us a poem he reckons is a cracker and explains why, and we talk a bit about lyric writing and his music. And he also features, it's a bit of a Tim Finn special if you like, because uh, he also features in the lyrics loved by luminaries, which will be between 11 and 12, including Don McGlashan, Chris Matthews, Martin Phillips, uh, who else? Oh, crocky, Sh Sean Donnelly, Buzz Moller, Jordan Luck. They're all lined up with their favourite lyrics between 11 and 12. Don't miss it. It's great fun. Next up, though, John Divick and his letter from America. Good evening, everybody. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. That's all. The US is the least qualified guy. But look what they are doing today. Yes, <laughs> yes. this guy is telling us. Today. It's better for you as to shut up. <laughs> today. Hello, what are we doing today? Least qualified guy. <laughs> oh, boy, I tell you what, that's me at a lot of times. A lot of times. Son of a bitch. How's your week? How's your week been? Been good. You, you big yank. Been really good. Thursday night we had the turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, cranberry you did sauce. This. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Had um, um, my family and a few friends over, and um, it was great. It's it's just flipping brilliant. I like it here. I liked it in America. Ah. I like the holiday. So it's Thanksgiving for. Um, Thank goodness for a couple of English-speaking American Indians. American Indians, you know, and the guy, the guy that um, helped him out, he was captured as a slave and was shipped over to England. Spent a couple of years there and then escaped and made his way back. I, I always find that fascinating. What? How do they escape and make their way back? I know, making their way back. <laughs> it's so much harder in the oldie days. Yeah, exactly. What are you, you going gotta, out of the dock? You got to find the ship. <laughs> How are you going to live on it? Yeah. And then, so the the, the most amazing thing with those, uh, the pilgrims <laughs> who went over there and uh, found it a bit tough, the, the <laughs> first Native American they saw, they said, hello. And, and he said, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How do you do? Because they picked up a posh accent yeah, in London. Exactly. What a break that was. Oh, hello. Oh. <laughs> oh how is Trafalgar Square? <laughs> oh, they haven't built it yet? Mm. <laughs> uh, All right. We'll move into Black Friday. Okay. That's my first, you know. And that's the interesting thing to me is um, Black Friday in America has a significance. It's, it's during the Thanksgiving holidays. 60 million Americans travel on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these families together, large groups of families, and you have your turkey, blah, blah, blah. And then the next day, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the mall and shop and go to the movies and whatever. And that, and they have specials, and they call it Black Friday because, generally speaking, stores that have struggled during the year or maybe close to being in the red turn into the black yeah. because people spend so much money. Now, here... They've gone bananas on Black Friday. I mean, the last four or five days, every store has just bombarded advertisement with Black Friday sales, Black Friday. It's got no 
connotation here. Yeah. It's a, it, there's nothing attached to it. We have <laughs> just cottoned on that it's a thing at all. Most people here think it's like, oh, that's not a good sound. Doesn't thing. sound good, does it? <laughs> Sounds like a stock market crash. <laughs> not, not at all. But it's the opposite. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah it kind of, it's to do with Thanksgiving that we don't do. Exactly. So it kind of fits here, but very interesting enough in the States, this year, there was a uh, not a large percentage, but I think about 14, 15% of Americans uh, boycotted Black Friday. Mm -hmm. Decided that, you know, hey, we're, we're getting carried away here too much. It's getting ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go out there and, and do that. So, But I was just very interested here that it's not a holiday. There's nothing attached to it. And mm -hmm. you're just beating your gums. <laughs> I wonder if it'll catch on on North Sentinel Island, <laughs> the Sentinel East. Oh, God. That poor bastard. Oh, I, mean, well, yeah, well. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Far out. Another missionary bites the dust. Yeah. Man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Now, yeah. uh, the founder? The founder. Are we on to the founder? Yeah. Have you seen that movie? No. It's. A, I tell you, you got to see it. Michael Keaton. It's the Ray Kroc story and the McDonald's oh. Empire story. And it's really a very well done movie. You know. There's no car crashes. There's no sex. There's. It's just the story of the McDonald's franchise and Ray Kroc and how he proclamated it. Now I have a I have a dispute with the title of it uh, of the movie, and I'll just give you a brief history brief history of McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And because like in here, even here uh, in the Canvas magazine, one year um, on the quiz thing that I do all the time, they asked when McDonald's started, and the answer was 1940, and that is wrong. That is not when it started. It started in 1948. The two McDonald's brothers, Maurice and Richard, in 1940 opened their restaurant, which is just a normal restaurant. It had car hops. It, it had uh, 27 items on the menu. It was just a normal fast food place, but it wasn't fast food. It was just a normal hamburger joint. Did it have people like that looked like Amanda Gillies on roller skates delivering yeah, your stuff in your, exactly. in your car? And, and the like problem, the hottest chick on, on Happy yeah, Days. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's what it was. Yeah. But, you know, the service was extremely slow, you know, because, you know, you're running around, you know, the, the car hop's got to go to the window and come back and yeah. put the tray on, all that kind of stuff. Well, Richard uh, was, a, was a thinker of the two brothers, and he was looking at the books, and he went, you know, our top three items that we sell are burgers, chips, and drinks, preferably milkshakes. Mm. So if the business was going okay, wasn't going great guns, but in 1948, they said, okay, we're going to scratch it. We're going to shut down. They shut down the business, and they remodeled the entire kitchen, remodeled it, and configured it into fast food. And they hired a group of people to work in it, and they trained them to choreograph what they had to do. And they had like a guy in a French fry, one guy on the burgers, one guy putting the ketchup and the sauce on, one guy fixing up. So, and they timed it. So when you, and then the biggest thing was they got rid of the car hop and they opened up a window, which you wouldn't think would be a big deal, but that really screwed people up. They went, what do you mean I got to get out of my car? What are you talking about? Get over here. It's un-American. Yes, yeah, come on. Get out of my car. No, you got to get out of your car, walk to the window. But they did it, they, and they timed it so that when you ordered your burger, you got it in 30 seconds. And that was fast food. That really but, is. Really fast food. But the other thing was, a couple Stuff things. Stuff landing on the moon. Oh, this is brilliant. This is better, isn't because it? Because you think, you think we take it for granted now. Mm. But nobody had done this at that time. Nobody. And so you think, okay... They, they put it in a bag. They didn't have any plates or utensils, and they wrapped it up and put it in a bag. Mm. And people go, well, what are we supposed to do? Go to the 
bench, go to the park, go anywhere you want to go, eat it and throw the, your trash away in a trash can. So they did that and they just, you know, they just timed it perfectly. So then in 1954, six years later, Ray Kroc is a struggling salesman trying to sell milkshake mixers. And he gets an order for eight mixers out in San Bernardino, California. And he goes, what the hell is that about? So he drives all the way, drives from Pennsylvania all the way out to California to check it out. And the McDonald's brothers, you know, gave him a tour of the place and showed him exactly what they were doing. And he was a business guy, and he went, bingo, franchise. We need to franchise this thing. So it took a while for him to talk him into it. But he eventually got the franchise thing going, and he developed the McDonald's Corporation, which was they bought the land, they had the whole deal, and he really screwed the McDonald's boys. I mean, just screwed them right over. Eventually, in 1961, he bought them out for $2.7 million, which, you know, in those days was a lot of money. Mm. So, but, the, but he, was, he was really an asshole. He, he, he made them take down the name of their original store. They couldn't have anything to do with McDonald's, so they lost their name, and then he built a store right across the street and drove them out of business. He was the Donald Trump of fast food. Oh. You know? But, and the thing was... How mean. Really mean. And the thing was, Ray Kroc is even worse. I mean, I say Donald Trump because in the truest sense, he said that he started it. He said he founded it in 1954. And if you go to his webpage, it says Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's. Oh. And then on this movie here, the director was kind of dicking with people. He says, well, is it the idea or the person that advanced the idea? And he goes, there's no argument there. It's the idea. There's nothing to advance unless you've got the idea. Yeah. That's the, that's the magic. And I'll, I'll give Ray Kroc credit. He worked his ass off to create the corporation of McDonald's and get it spread. Spread it, spread it around the states Spread it around worldwide. the states. So, I mean, I, I'm not knocking him in that sense because he was a great businessman in that sense. But it, And then he also shook hands with them saying that they were going to get a 1% royalty on the profits. Mm -hmm. Never did it. Never did it. And I read a story this week, the grandkids of the McDonald's, and the guy asked him, you, you, are you pissed off at that? Are you angry about that? And they said, no, Grandpa wasn't angry about it. Why should I be? It's wow. just, you know, so there you go. There is a great irony that one of the last Western countries to get McDonald's <laughs> Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> there you go. McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. There's no McDonald's in Scotland. <laughs> and Mr. Yankee. Yeah. Doodle freaking dandy. Yeah. Coca feather in it. <laughs> Coca-Cola is still number two soft drink in Scotland. Really? What they got they got their special their own one. Ambry. Yeah, yeah, I knew that I didn't know the name of it, but I Ambry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, sorry. Alcohol first, then Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, yeah, Andrew, and, and I think then it's Coca-Cola. But it's the last place where Coca-Cola can't win. There you go. Well, good on them. That's yeah, all right. that's all right. It's you an know? amazing sense of almost yeah. defiance, isn't yeah. it? Well, it is. Probably is. You know, they but, love it. They love their Andrew. Yeah, but if you haven't seen the founder and you can get a DVD of it, okay. or check it out. It's a really well done movie. They, they they lay it all out. In fact, the grandkid said that the family was very you know happy with the movie. That's unusual in itself. Yeah, families usually aren't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good morning, Scotland. By the way. <laughs>
<laughs> we know you're listening and parting. <laughs> now, something doesn't seem quite right here. Well, well this is, um, I'm going to just tell you a little bit of stats about the Senate and the House of Representatives. There's mm -hmm. 100 senators and there's 435 House of Representatives. And the House of Representatives are determined by population. So like California's got 53. You know, Vermont's got one. All right. That makes sense. Mm. Okay. But the other thing doesn't make sense. Uh, California has 40 million people. They get two senators. South Dakota and Montana have less than a million people. They get two senators. Mm -hmm. You know, Vermont gets one representative. They get two senators. So it's just, it's out, it's out of balance. Something's going to change. Well, no, isn't that a balance? No, but, it's not a balance. Between because, areas no. that might be important that have because Donald, not many people Donald in Trump them. got elected. It's all America, John. No, it's not. Because Donald Trump got elected by only uh, a third, a little over a third I of the population. you'd bring it back to sound Well, I'm just, I'm just telling you. Uh, there's something wrong with that system. If because could, Trump was elected. No, it has nothing to do with that. It, you know, it does, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to get down to brass tacks? Yeah. That damn right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Trump's very, very bad week. Did he have a very bad week? Did he? Yeah. This was this was particularly bad. He's been grumpy since they got wiped out of the midterms. I mean, they really did. The the um, Democrats took thirty eight uh, House seats, which was a was, was a crush. I mean, the most since uh, Watergate over forty years ago. Um, they got uh, over uh, eight, almost yeah, over eight million. Uh, almost 9 million more votes mm. across the board. So, you know, a lot of things just not looking good for him. He's been grumpy. But he's just really had a bad week this week. First of all, he attacks General McRaven. General McRaven is a Navy SEAL who was responsible for the killing of Osama bin Laden. He's the one that organized the raid. And, and Trump comes out and says, well, he should have done it sooner. And everybody goes, well, it's not his responsibility to find the guy. That's the CIA's problem. Mm. When he, once they found him, he went in and did the job. So Trump is going around. I mean, he really. He's saying this because he just doesn't want Obama to look good <laughs> about anything. I guess. I mean, where did this come from? I mean, he just, you know, he just goes baloney on that. Then he refutes the CIA this week. You know, apparently the CIA has listened in on a phone call and this uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the prince of Saudi Arabia, mm. ordered the killing of Gashagi, the U.S. resident journalist. And Trump goes, nah, I'm going to go with... Um with ben do Salman. we know he did order it? And look, I, I bet he did. But do we know? Have you got strong well, evidence? They say they've got a recording of, his, of him... Of the death? No, of him talking to his brother. Oh. Who said, get this done. Oh, so but they doesn't. Oh, okay. Just yeah. that many organised? Probably, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I reckon probably they're yeah. trying to cover their tracks because it ended up in a bloody mess. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. But, but I mean, well, how else was it going to end up? But a, he's, a bloke but, enters an embassy and suddenly disappears. Appears? Yeah, exactly. But the thing was, his his intelligence agencies say this, and he continually goes against his t intelligence. He did it with Putin. Putin said, I didn't interfere in the election. Oh, okay. The, every intelligence that he did, so I'm not going to believe my guys. I'm going to believe this guy. Mm -hmm. So this is what goes again. And then he goes on and on about Saudi Arabia, about how they're such an important ally, the $110 billion, which is $14.5 billion. It's not $110. He goes on about the oil. We get 11% of our oil from Saudi Arabia. We get 40% of our oil from friggin' Canada. God, I'd just I'm, love it to run out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'd well, love it to run out. Out yeah. and see how Saudi looks then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, 
But we, we don't depend on Saudi Arabia for our oil anymore and because of fracking. We frack so much and mm. destroy things. Okay, so he does that. And then there's a judge, a uh, federal judge in San Francisco, the Ninth Circuit District Court, who said, no, I'm sorry, as I said last week, if you're an asylum seeker, and you can walk up and knock on our door uh -huh. and ask for asylum in America. That's in the Constitution. It's guaranteed. So Trump tried to say, no, you couldn't do that. He put out a policy, said that's stopped. And a judge said, no, you can't do that. It says in the Constitution. So he overturned it. And then Trump goes nuts and starts blasting this guy. And, you, and every time he goes, you know, it's very unfair to me. You know, these circuit judges, you know, they're just unfair. Yeah, you know, they're unfair, Donald, because they're actually following the Constitution, following the laws of the country, not your asshole whims. And that's what it comes down to. Every time he doesn't get his way when he wants to break the law, he cries foul and starts degrading these people. And then, after that, really weird, Chief Justice John Roberts of the Supreme Court, and they never say dick to boo about anything. He came out and rebuked Trump and said, no, Ooh. no, we don't have Obama judges. We don't have Clinton judges. We don't have Bush judges. We have judges. And they do a great job, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I mean, and everybody was going nuts because that, this guy, John Roberts, is about as conservative as you can. He's a chief justice, and he's been on the court a long time. He's a very conservative guy, and he came out and reproved. And then Trump gets Well, there's a, a new meaning to conservative now because Trump doesn't fit that either in a lot of ways. Not at all. You're right. It's because This is it, a left field president. It, 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 exactly. So, you know, I mean, so then he gets into an argument with him and starts twittering about him going back and forth. Then here's a here's the bombshell of the week. We got a, a semi bombshell at the end of this, but here's the bombshell of the week. Trump ordered the DOJ to investigate and prosecute James Comey, the former FBI director, and Hillary Clinton. That's that's going after your political enemies. He can't uh -huh. do that. Once again, folks, it's against the law to do that. He doesn't control the Department of Justice. That's a separate entity, and yet. That's what he thinks. He thinks that this is part of his arsenal and that he can go after anybody he wants for any reason. There's oh. no reason to go after them, but he just wants them because he doesn't like them and they're his political enemy. He's really an ugly, ugly man. Yeah. In all the way. Now, here's the clincher what? for the week. This ties it up. This ties well, the whole this thing. Isn't be the, if this is the final word, I just wanted to say something about yeah. Hillary and John Kerry yeah. this week. Oh, yeah. John Kerry saying Europe has been crushed by immigration. Yeah. Hillary and Clinton Hillary, yeah, yeah. saying this is not good. We can't go down this path. Yeah. This is actually a way for the Democrats to have some kind of empathy with those that don't think immigration should be all just open borders. Yeah. And it's probably the best way for the Democrats to go. Yeah. Oh, no, I definitely think so. But I, I don't know why she and... Kerry is saying this now. Not, both of them are just has-beens. Yeah, it's a bit late in the, in the piece. Probably he even looks French. Probably because it's a bit late. Yeah. But catch this. The Trump administration, catch this. This, this is how ugly he, this guy is, folks, and what a jerk-off he is. They are denying the tribe and the guy that helped the pilgrims survive the first winter in the New World. Samoset. Yeah, uh, no, this guy, his name starts with a T. Oh. Uh, T. But Somerset was the chief. Yeah. And this other guy that got captured. Squanto. 
Yeah, got captured and sent to England. Okay. He was starts with a T. I picked up the toffee nose accent. And and uh, the, the the other tribe is called um, Wampanoag. W a m p a n o a g. That's a tribe. Okay. In tribe. Well, they they you know <laughs> they got the pilgrims through the first winter, and now they've got land, tribal land, and in America. The tribes, once again, have figured out, you know, we can't make any money doing anything else, but we can build casinos on our land, and now we can make some money. Well, guess Why do they always do that, though? Because that's the only way they can make money. Is it the only way? Well, I don't know if it's the only way. It's, Why do they do it so much? Because it's the most profitable way, oh. I suppose. They oh. really do make a lot of money off these casinos, okay. you know, gambling. But now they get a special American Indian pass. Yeah, they get. Yeah, they okay. don't. There's no tax. Native American, whatever you want to call. There's it. no tax, and okay, if you have a tribe yeah. and you got your land like this, Wangapau tribe, yeah. then you have a casino. Everybody in that tribe gets a slice of the action. Oh, okay. They get a percentage, so you're you know, it's like a you know a social service type. Groovy, thing. groovy. Yeah. So, but anyway, outside interests want to build their own casino on this land, and the Trump administration is. Trying to deny this tribe the land, saying, "Guess what, folks? Quote me on this: They're not Indian enough. There's some kind of scale about how Indian you are. I mean, this is pathetic." In the week of Thanksgiving. <laughs> In the week of Thanksgiving. The same tribe. The same tribe. And the guy, the the guy, the chief of the tribe came out and said, "Hey, man, we helped you out a while back. You, you <laughs> yeah, have a fish." Yeah. <laughs> not Indian enough. I mean, Trump knows no bounds. He's an ugly, ugly person. Not Indian enough. <laughs> He's probably thinking of what's her name. Is it Elizabeth Warren? Yeah, yeah. Pocahontas, he calls her. <laughs> Far out. It's come to this. Exactly. Oh, just, just a little thing I've been doing recently, and yeah. that is uh, binging on a documentary on YouTube. You can send me to sleep and I catch up with it. You go back <laughs> yeah. and catch up with where you last heard it. It's about the American Revolutionary War. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I do feel particularly ignorant about it. Yeah. Um, Good stuff in there, though. Oh, I had no idea it really went on for so long. Yeah, and 1783 ben yeah. is when and, it finished. And Benedict Arnold, what he did? I told you, Trump is Benedict Arnold. The bastard general screwed our guys, tried to tried to de derail Washington. Because they were un he felt unfairly treated. Unfairly treated. And <laughs> swapped over, basically yeah. sold secrets, didn't yeah, he? he did. He, yeah. he gave away locations and battle plans. And then the bastard got to go back to England and live the posh life and, in retirement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the Revolutionary War. You can look it up if you like. Each episode's about three hours long. Oh yeah. And what, what, what you've got about six or seven of them. Who did it this? It goes on. I don't know. Someone with a very educated voice, <laughs> probably from Princeton. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines. Yeah, anyway, exactly. I'm rebuking myself for not having uh, known more about it because it's yeah. it kind of you hear more about the Civil War these days, don't you? You hear a lot about the Civil War because of the flag, because yeah. of the divisions. And Last show about the Revolutionary War, alias Smith and Jones, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. I think so. Okay. John, thank you so much. No, I don't get my final word. I, I thought that was your final no, word. No, that wasn't my the final American word. The American Indians. Sure. No, no. That was just the end of Trump's asshole week. Oh. No, the final word is this. The final word is this. This is the problem with the media in America, with Trump. They oh. take him seriously. They take his statement seriously only because he's the president. Now, he lies every day. We know this. He lies every day. I mean, the, the classic lie is 
the hush bunny payment to Stormy Daniels. He said he didn't know where the money came from. He had no idea what was going on. It had nothing to do with him for two years. He lied about this. And then, lo and behold, we get a recording from his lawyer with him discussing how to manufacture and how to get the payment to the Stormy Daniels. So that's a total lie. And that is just what he does every time anything attacks him. He lies. So all I want to say is the Mueller investigation is starting to heat up again. And every time that Trump says... It's a witch hunt, and there was no collusion. You know he is lying. Just call me Perry Mason, but I rest my case. That jerk-off colluded with Russia. Okay, we, we'll see. And you doubting Thomas, you. Doubting Thomas. <laughs> uh, coming up very shortly after the commercial break, read me a poem. Tim Finn reads us one he likes okay. and just tells us why. Cool. It was lovely to have Tim Finn in this week. He's very good, you know. <laughs> okay, John, thank you so much. Thanks, Graham. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs> this is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. This series, a short series actually, uh, is basically just read me a poem. That's what we're calling it. And we find people for whom poetry is at the very least a bit of a something... Read us a poem, any poem that you write, and tell us why. It's, I think, a simple enough thesis and nice to give poetry a bit of oxygen. Also, I think it plays a part in more people's lives than is given credit. Our guest today in studio, Tim Finn. Thanks so much for coming in. It's a pleasure, Graham. When did you kind of get some poetry? Can you remember? Oh... I mean, I didn't read a lot of poetry when I was growing up in Taumutu. Um We probably had a... I think we had a, an old, crusty old book of Tennyson oh, yeah. lying around, and I probably glanced at that. Um, Kipling's F in the toilet. <laughs> um, but, no, poetry wasn't big in, in my childhood at all, all my youth. And it's, once I got to about the age of 16, 17, I suppose, um, you know, we did start looking at a few poems at school. Right. Did anything impress you at school? Well, I liked T.S. Eliot. We did a little bit of work with him, and um, Chan and I got into um, Dylan Thomas. In a the big Mike way. Chan version? Yeah, yeah, in a big way, Yeah, uh, under Milkwood. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, Chris Matthews of the Headless Chickens, uh, on a solo album he's done, entire album of Dylan, all the words of Dylan Thomas, and you can't see the joins it doesn't even sound shoehorned in. It's amazing. Ah. Yeah. Is that a new one, is it? A newish. Newish. Less oh. than 10 years old, post-headless chickens, put it that way. I'll check it out. Does poetry inform lyrics at all? Well, I mean, lyrics are a different beast, really. I, I've always maintained that... Um, I'm not a big fan of lyric sheets, although when I get an album or used to from somebody I loved, of course I would dive into the in lyrics and start reading them. Yeah. But I do think they should exist within the song. Um, there's some poets that uh, almost m approach musical uh, music when they read, and there are some uh, lyrics that almost approach poetry, but they are different, I think. Yeah, some are close to poetry, but that doesn't mean that those that aren't are no good when yeah. it comes to lyrics. Yeah, that's right. Some of my favourites are just a repeated <laughs> phrase. 
I mean, the thing is with uh, with songwriting is that you your your um, your melody is a harsh mistress, and you the words must succumb. And yeah. so, I, but I think you know that kind of compression is very much um, found in poetry. That yeah, not a syllable out of place. Um, but yeah. Okay. Do you look back on? Let's. Can we just talk about the split ends work when um, with with split ends? Uh, do you look back on anything with any particular pride about lyric writing for yourself? Um, yeah, I think, well, the ones I still perform, like Poor Boy um, and Dirty Creature, um, and there's, there's others that I enjoy doing still. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel like nostalgia when I play them. It feels like yeah. I can just step into them and, and, they, and they're fresh and ready. Uh, the Poor Boy very, is a very spare lyric, which I was pleased about. on the flowery side so I love the ones where I sort of had some restraint like that um, Dirty Creature was unusual for me because we got the music together first I knew I knew the song was called Dirty Creature and I had the uh, opening lines Dirty Creature come my way from the bottom of Big Black Lake but I didn't have anything else and so it was really when the music came together after two and a half days of jamming that the lyrics came in about half an hour so that was a yeah it was a very pleasurable thing got to ask you about Charlie, which is kind of an outlier as far as split ends go, but man, I think it's got good legs. It, it's better now than it was when I first heard it to my ears. And that's got this strange narrative. Yeah, I guess that's my murder ballad in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise it at the time, but um, yeah, it's fun to do now because it's theatrical and I can step into that. Yeah, role, that role. right. And just imagine somebody mm -hmm. killing their partner mm -hmm. uh, with an axe or something along those lines, something, isn't it? Something, yeah. maybe something more cunning than, than an axe. Okay. Lord, no. I was eaten up with jealousy
go there. Sorry. Well, I, I lead you there. Now, <laughs> what, what poem have you picked? I think it's called Music When Soft Voices Die, but mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what Shelley called it, but that's the opening lines, yeah. Okay. Um, we found, just through trial and error, the best thing is to read it, then explain why it's good, and we'll hear it again, because it really helps. All right, well, I'll read it. I don't know okay. about the explaining part. All right. Here we go. Music when soft voices die vibrates in the memory. Odors when sweet violets sicken live within the sense they quicken. Rose leaves when the rose is dead are heaped for the beloved's bed. And so thy thoughts when thou art gone, love itself shall slumber on. So it's about loss. Yeah, it, well, it's about things remaining too. So it's both, yeah, what you lose in one way you have in you always but it's it's interesting because it's quite simple in some ways but it's complex too i mean love itself shall slumber on uh shall slumber on the bed yeah. um or slumber on as in going on um continuing and music vibrating in the memory it's rather lovely obviously and i like sweet violets sicken Mm. It's a good counterpoint. I'm not a teacher, so I no. can't be eloquent about this. I'm just having a bit of a waffle. That's as eloquent as anyone needs to be. <laughs> or anyone has been? No, no. surely. Well, Sam must I'm, have been C far C more C.K. Stead will be impressed with what you said. <laughs> he'll probably give you, be listening and he'll give you a grade. <laughs> a very low grade, a C-. minus. No, but poems are personal things, and the way they 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 get you, they just either get you or they don't. And yeah. how you explain them is, is well, I like sh short poems, and I like yeah. you know language that's s spare, and I don't mind a bit of a you know elegant phrase mm. or a, even something that approaches flowery. Violet sicken. That mm. is a good line, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Okay. This works. Don't worry. We want to hear it again now that people have thought about it. And it's not in front of them, you see, and they don't know it. So, Music when soft voices die vibrates in the memory. Odours when sweet violets sicken live within the sense they quicken. Rose leaves when the rose is dead are heaped for the beloved's bed. And so thy thoughts when thou art gone, love itself shall slumber on. Lovely. Tim Finn. Thanks heaps. You're welcome. Now, everyone else has grabbed two because there was no holding them back and we can make up the rules as we go, so who cares? Your second choice... Yes. ...is a poem, sort of about a poem, in a way. In a way. I mean, it's a homage, I think. It's John Clark's, um, I suppose, parody, but that, that seems too small a thought. He has a book that he wrote where he, he does parodies of famous poems, famous poets, as if they all were Australians. And this one I'm going to do is a... It's working, let's say, with a T.S. Eliot poem, a famous one, Love Song of J. Arthur Rock, And he's called it The Love Song of J. Arthur Pepin. You can't do this sort of thing that he's done without really knowing your shit. You have to know your shit and you have to love your shit. Yeah. You know, and John loved po poetry and words, but he was having a bit of fun with the idea that we don't have much of a poetry tradition out here in this part of the world. Mm. 
We do miss John. We were saying before, weren't we, Graham, mm. that um, we lost him twice when he went to Australia and then now he's no longer with us. Um, it was actually the internet that brought him back to us in many ways because the ABC and everything that he was doing became kind of like current online. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was like we, finding out, oh, my, how you've grown. Sort of thing. <laughs> if only we could have had his... His, oh. his brilliance and his wit working on us for all these years. Yeah. But, you know, on a human level, he was a deep joker, if you like. And I, I loved him. I met him and got to know him a bit and f feel his loss, mm. you know, as we all do. So I'll read the, read the poem now, The Love Song of J. Arthur Perpend. Um, so this one written by T.S. Brackett's Tabby Serious Elliot. <laughs> He was born in Malakuta, went to school and university in Melbourne, qualifying as a surveyor in 1915. Among his other works is Old Ponce's book of practical Webbers. Let us go then, you and I, while there's still time to read and classify, measuring the margins on the little fay barometer that marks the calibrations of our talk. In the room the women come and go, despite what I read in the papers. Old is what I seem increasingly to be. Tobacco-tranced, in time I watched the sea. It was a dark and stormy old pyjama cord that lashed me to my dream of others moored. There followed soft, a moment put on hold, with a wind without a rug against the cold. And someone, call it someone, up on an elbow, for argument's sake, you might say. You have missed the point. You have completely missed the point. In the room, the women come and go, but not, perhaps, regrettably, with me. Yeah, he knows as Elliot in order to turn that round. <laughs> he does, yeah. It's delightful. It's a beautiful thing. I just want to ask you, while you're here, uh, one of my favourites of your solos stuff, we are, talked very briefly about... Um, your lyrical stuff with split ends. But Straw to Gold is one of my favourites of yours, solo-wise. Thanks, Graham. Yeah, that was on the album uh, The Conversation. Uh, it was a really wonderful record to make. It was, um, there were four of us, me, Brad Adams on guitar, Eddie on keyboards and Miles Golding, who was the violin player in the first split ends lineup. So it was it was a beautiful quartet. We had a wellspring of memories to draw from, but we all got into the moment together, and yeah, I loved it. So, anyway, I think it's probably my favourite album of all my solo records, but thanks for choosing that one. I love the way the third chord seems wrong, but it's right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like there's Eddie doing a little bit of fist piano. Yeah. Straw. It, it gives it a... Yeah. It's got that almost medieval... Quality and yeah, when you, when you play a fifth like that, and it was a bit of an accident in a way. It was sort of the way that I was misplaying it on the guitar. Oh, oh really? Yeah, but the naivety never went astray. Straight to my head, every word that he said, but you helped me to see the truth instead. But the trail went cold 
keyboards yourself uh, i love playing the piano i play it every day and um, the trouble is my son does now too he's 20 and so there's two of us bashing away because we've got a grand and an upright and so it's luck of the draw which one you get and then my wife marie and our daughter elliot sit in the middle of the of the house and we're on either end i misappropriated uh who in a way taught me piano i, I thought it was eddie rayner but it ended up being you i was trying to learn how to play time for a change ah and I went, oh, God. A lot of chords. A lot of chords. A lot yeah. of stuff going on there. Yeah. The way the first note at the top is different. It's out of key from the one at the bottom at the start. I like the way you were 
showing using your body then to is demonstrate. That, if only our listeners could. Does that look familiar? <laughs> but the first chord. Oh, I'm trying to learn that thing, and I said, Oh, well, that's a, Eddie Rain was some type of vicarious piano teacher. It was you? Well, I played it. Yeah. Sorry for giving Eddie all that credit all that time. Well, he's played he's played it many times himself, and he's he and I are actually working on a, just on a sly project together at the moment. Oh. We're trying to lure Noel in, so it's it's an interesting time. Oh, Noel. Yeah. How Have you been cool. seen his Instagram page? No. You've got to go to Noel's Instagram. I think it's called Crombang, I'm not sure. But uh, I was told about this, and I checked it out, and he's just got all these beautiful little snippets and films of him playing a fence, um, the alarm in an elevator. Yeah, you name it, he's hitting it. When you think about it... Uh, Instagram could have been made for, for someone like Noel. Yeah, he lives on in glorious Technicolor. Lovely stuff. Anything else you want to add, Tim? No, I'm very happy to be here and, um, be, you know, be sort of talking alongside some of your other guests. It's a good idea for a program. Well done. Oh, thank you. Seriously, thank you very much for coming in and reading us a poem. Good on you, Tim. Cheers. Thanks, Graham. The love song of J. Arthur Perpend. Let us go then, you and I, while there's still time to read and classify, measuring the margins on the little fay barometer that marks the calibrations of our talk. In the room, the women come and go, despite what I read in the papers. Old is what I seem increasingly to be. Tobacco tranced in time, I watch the sea. It was a dark and stormy old pyjama cord that lashed me to my dream of others moored. There followed soft a moment put on hold with a wind without a rug against the cold. And someone, call it someone, up on an elbow for argument's sake might say, you have missed the point. You have completely missed the point. In the room, the women come and go, but not perhaps regrettably, with me. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Straight after new sport and weather. Lyrics loved by New Zealand musical luminaries. Chris Matthews, Sean D uh, Donnelly, Martin Phillips, Jordan Luck, and yes, Tim Finn gets his say as well. Plenty more besides. It's news, sport and weather time. It's 11 o'clock.